0: All right, well, at least some of you remembered that we have Bible study tonight, didn't you? We're starting back. I'm so thankful that you, you were here. Uh, we're going to start a new series uh, um, just through the month of January. Later, I'll tell you what we're going to be doing starting in February. I'm pretty excited about what we'll be doing starting in, in uh, February. Um, and I'll, I'll probably talk about that this Sunday or, or next Sunday morning. Uh, But during the month of January, we're going to be talking on Sunday nights, uh, do basically some character studies, character studies of of, of some prominent people in the New Testament. And I don't know if you've ever done character Bible studies, it's an excellent way uh, to kind of dig into the Word of God in a fresh way. And so we're going to be looking at uh, three or four, depending on how time goes, three or four different individuals. Uh, definitely three, perhaps four, uh, I can explain that later, but uh, three or four individuals uh, and do a character study of them, prominent people in the New Testament. I don't want to give it away yet because I I want to lead into something with that. Uh, So, let me start by asking you a question that I want your participation on. Do you have a nickname that you can share that's, you know, Being called something and having a nickname is two different things. (laughs) All right, I'll get it started. Maybe that'll prime the pump. Um, I don't have a lot of nicknames. I had more nicknames growing up than I do now, Uh, and I think I've shared some of these before. But uh, because of the of the name shorter, uh, you know, I was growing up, I was called short stuff. Um. I also was called shortstop, short stuff, more than shortstop. Um, in college, I was uh, my nickname was Johnson City, and that makes no sense to you, but if, <laughs> but to our circle of friends, it made perfect sense. Uh, Lisa calls me W O, bless you. Lisa calls me W O so occasionally, uh, wide open, and so that's kind of her nickname for me. Uh, now, I, I'm sure there's some others, but I'm not, I can't remember what they are right now. But did, what nicknames do you have that you could share? Called what? Bird. I'm going to have to put my glasses on so I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who, somebody else. was. Yes. Jody. All right. <laughs> uh, <it's>, uh-huh. <laughs> buttermilk. All right. This this is kind of dangerous. I might start calling you all these things on Sunday when I say, hey Buttermilk. <laughs> All right, what else? Yes. Sugarfoot. All right, that's good. What else? One or two more. Come on. Scooter. Squirrel. (laughs) I thought I saw him in the basket. Well, we can't top that. We'll just stop right there. <laughs> I have named all of my kids, or nicknamed all of my kids. Uh, Kelly a sunshine. From the earliest, earliest of days, when in, in the crib, her face just always lit up on, in the mornings. Uh, Lauren is little, little bit. I talked about that in the wedding uh, Sunday night and cried my way through it as I explained a little bit. But I, I named her that just when she was little. She was just a little bit. And Jonathan is J-Man. Just because I couldn't think of anything else. He, was, he just became J-Man. Here's the thing about nicknames. It's not always the case. For example, in Ed's case, this is not true. But most of the time, when, when somebody gives you a nickname, it implies two things. Number one, it implies a close relationship. For example, I've nicknamed all of my kids, I told you that, and I've nicknamed my grandbaby, my, the world's greatest grandbaby. Her nickname for, that I've given her is Baby Doll. So when I see her, I, that's what I usually call it. Hey, Baby Doll. And, but I don't name your kids, I haven't nicknamed your grandkids. When you give someone a nickname, it generally implies intimacy. Lisa gave me the nickname W O. You didn't give it to me, Lisa gave it to me. When you give someone a nickname, it implies you have a kind of an intimate relationship. The second thing about nicknames is this. When someone gives you a nickname, there's usually, not always, but there's usually some kind of backstory. There's a reason you have that nickname. I mean, there's there's a reason you're called Booger Jr. You know? Uh, there's a backstory to that. Here's where we're going on Sunday nights in January. I tried to come up with a clever nickname title, but I just couldn't get it. But basically, here's what I want to look at. We're going to look at three of the apostles and do a character study on each of those three. And the reason I've chosen these three is because there are three apostles out of the twelve that Jesus nicknamed. Let me show you what I'm talking about, and then I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 16. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. These are the twelve, these are the twelve he appointed, and so they're listed after this, Simon, parentheses, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, parentheses, to them he gave the name Boagines, which means sons of thunder, and then all the other ones are listed. So there's three. These three, by the way, not only got a nickname from Jesus, as we'll see as we do this study, these three had a special relationship with Jesus. They experienced things with Jesus that none of the others experienced. We'll see a little bit of that tonight. And, and I'd like to know, though the Bible doesn't tell us completely, I'd like to know the backstory behind the nickname. We we have a little bit of the information about Peter, and we'll read that when we get to Peter. Uh, but I'd like to know a little bit of the backstory behind the, the nickname that Peter and John and James got. But again, the very fact that there were three out of the twelve who got nicknames implies special relationship. You know, there's. Would you agree with it? There's just some people you connect with, right? You know, lots of people. You're friends with a a smaller group, but maybe you're friends with a lot of people. But there's a small group of people you really connect with. Just, you know, in, in current day language, we'd call them maybe BFF. Is that right? Have I got that right, BFF? Is that right? So there's just a small group of people sometimes that you connect with. I find it interesting... That Jesus connected with twelve, and then he really connected with three, and the three that he really connected with, all three of them were characters. I mean, it's it's just kind of—he didn't out of the twelve, he didn't choose the three holiest guys to hang out with. Out of the twelve, he picked three that were—they were just characters. They had a tempers. They—they put their foot in their mouth. They were prideful. They were arrogant. And what we're going to see in the study, and we'll see it tonight especially, what we're going to see in this study as we look at all three of these guys, is how they started out so rough, so unlike what we would think they would be. And then by the time they come towards the, towards the end of their ministry, they're incredibly gifted, committed, follower of Christ and leader of the church. So, with that as kind of an introduction, I want to talk to you tonight about John. Uh, why start with John? Why don't you start with Peter? Uh, or Peter's probably going to be the last one, actually. John, I think, is a good one to start with. He's very Familiar to most of us in one way or another. And one of the reasons he's so familiar to us is primarily because he wrote so much of the New Testament. In fact, you may not have thought about this, but other than two other authors of the New Testament, John wrote more than anybody else. Now, Of course, who's the, the, the one person, who, not, not an apostle, but who's the one person who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody? Paul. How many, how many letters or books did Paul write of, of the New Testament? Thirteen. How many books are in the New Testament? 27. So Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. So, so I mean, he's the leader by far. Now, it's a debate about who's number two. And here's the reason. Luke wrote two books. Gospel of Luke, Book of Acts. John wrote how many books? Close. John wrote five books Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. All right, so just using that standard or that metric, we would say, okay, Paul wrote 13. uh, John is the second most prolific writer because he wrote five. Luke would be the third, maybe because he wrote two. But. use a different metric, John is, falls down to number three because Luke wrote 52 chapters in his two books. John wrote 50 chapters. Uh, and so it's close. My point is simply this. John wrote a lot, a big chunk of the New Testament. And John got another name, not, not necessarily a nickname, some might call it that, but John was called by some people, or is called by some people, the Apostle of Love. And the reason he is called the Apostle of Love is because he wrote more about love than any other New Testament author. In fact, he used the word love, and I had a printout of it, I don't have it with me, Uh, but he used the word love more than 80 times in his five books. More than 80 times. Let me give you a few examples. I, I know I don't have an outline for you, and that's intentional really because I just want you to kind of engage with me as we look at his story. But, in, for example, he wrote John three sixteen. Of course, we know about that one, about love. Uh, John 13, 34 and 35. And you command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one, one another. John 2, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, on and on and on it goes. Uh, John, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So here's the apostle of love. Except here's what I want you to hear. This is going to be good. John, in his early days, didn't act like an apostle of love. In fact, had you known John as a young man, you would have thought him to be the most unlikely candidate to be remembered as the apostle of love and maybe one of an unlikely candidate to be an an apostle at all. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start talking about John and looking, kind of do a character study together as we look at the early years of John. John was the younger brother of James. We'll probably look at James next week. But we're starting with the younger brother. Uh, They were both known, as we just read in Mark, they were known as Sons of Thunder. It appears that that nickname was given to them because they were both volatile, brash, aggressive, zealous, ambitious. Uh, They probably had a bad temper. They probably kind of said things, just It stayed close to the surface. It didn't take much to blow up. John was one of those who wanted to, for example, I'll show you one of the examples of the sons of thunder. Go with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 54. Luke chapter 9, verse 54. We may come back to this in a moment. Let's start at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, notice how Luke calls calls them out here. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? That doesn't sound like the apostle of love. He wants to incinerate a Samaritan village. James and John were cut from the same cloth. They, I, it's hard to imagine that somebody would ever call them the, the apostle of, or call him the apostle of love. There's another experience in the New Testament where John speaks, and it gives us a glimpse into his personality and makeup. In Go to Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Mark <clears throat> chapter 9, verse 38. Teacher said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. Verse thirty nine, Jesus, do not stop him. You know, I don't know sometimes you, you can't you can't you can't see how he says this, but in your own imagination, Jesus said, Do not stop him. No one who does a miracle in In my name can, in the next moment, say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. This is one of the rare times where John actually speaks alone. He usually is somewhere in the vicinity of Peter and James, and he's talking with them. But in this passage, he's speaking by himself. And this is pure John right here. Kind of elitism and tolerance Unloving. Lord, we, we, we saw this guy and he's, what was he doing? You tell me. We saw this guy and he's doing what? Driving out demons in your name. He didn't say he's trying to. He said he's driving out demons in your name. Now, now quick test. This is going to be a hard, a quick test. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? It's a good thing, right? And so John says, hey, we saw this guy driving out demons in your name. I mean, it's amazing to see. I mean, he was, he, was, he was really doing it. It was amazing. But we told him to stop because he's not one of us. He don't have the credentials for that. He didn't have that little badge on. He didn't have a lanyard that said apostle. So we told him to stop. Now, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's have... A moment where we kind of get into this. Try to put yourself in Jesus' shoes. When John said that, and, and just put yourself in Jesus' shoes. When John said that, how would you have felt? There's no right or wrong answer here. How would you have felt? <laughs> yeah. Try to put yourself in the shoes of the man who's driving out the demons. How would you have felt? Yeah, exactly. Context is always important. Context is always important. It's especially true. In this text, this is an incident occurred shortly after Jesus' transfiguration. Let me pause and give you the context. This incident occurred shortly after the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, that glorious mountaintop experience where, where they witnessed something that nobody else ever saw. They, Jesus, in essence, kind of pulled back the curtain and let them have a glimpse of his glory. And, and Peter, James, and John were on the mountaintop. They were the ones selected to watch that. Now, now see what it says in chapter 9, verse 1, as we build toward this context. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. He said to them, I tell you the truth, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. That sounded like the millennial kingdom would be coming in their lifetime. Yet even today, we're still waiting on the millennial kingdom to come. So what is this promise that some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the kingdom of God come with power? What was this promise about? Jesus was saying, some of you, Jesus might. My dad, I'll sing like her, but I'm going to use it anyway. So here's what Jesus said. He said, Some of you are not going to die before you see the kingdom of God. And he had him in mind there. He didn't say all of you. He had in mind Peter, James, and John, that they would have the privilege of witnessing a brilliant foretaste of the glory and the power of the coming kingdom. They would get to preview what we will see in the millennial kingdom. Six days later, that's exactly what happened. Verse 2 through verse 8. We, we don't have the time to read all of that, but the transfiguration was an amazing experience, a literally a mountaintop experience. <clears throat> Suddenly, it says in verse 8, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone. With them except Jesus. After the mountaintop experience was over, after the transfiguration was over, they saw no one with them except Jesus. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Can you imagine how hard that must have been? I mean, they got to witness what no one else in recorded history has ever gotten to witness. They got to see what no one else has ever seen. They were given the unique privilege to experience something that nobody else would ever experience. Nobody had experienced it up to that point, and nobody has experienced it since. And Jesus said, now, we just got to make a deal. Don't tell anybody. At least until the resurrection. So as they come down the mountain, i notice notice what happens now. Again, working on the context, notice what happens. They come down the mountain after the transfiguration. In Mark chapter 9, we come to verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, that is, they came off the mountain, and when they came to the other of the disciples, the other disciples being the ones who didn't have the privilege of seeing that, they didn't have the privilege of going up on the mountain, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed in wonder with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? he asked them. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not. What do you think the three were thinking when they heard that? Teacher, I asked your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. This is just reading between the lines. It's just my speculation. But my, my speculation is this. They probably were going... If we had been here, we would have taken care of it. They had this privilege that nobody else had. Now, look at chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum. I love Capernaum. I meant to say this this morning. Let me just throw it in here. At the end, of the last Sunday night of this month, right? Our meeting? I think I think we've got a, a meeting coming up. If you're interested in in, uh, in going to Israel with us, I think we've got another interest meeting coming up, was my point. Uh, but the reason I said that is because it says they came to Capernaum. And every time we go to Israel, we go to Capernaum, one of my favorite places around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and it's just an amazing little city or village to walk into. They came to Capernaum and when when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Why do you suppose they were arguing about who was the greatest at this particular time? Could it have anything to do with the fact that three of them were up on the mountain at the Transfiguration? Could it have anything to do with the fact that three of them were maybe a little full of themselves? Look in chapter 9 and go to verse 38. Now we come to that scripture. Teacher, John said, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. We told him to stop because he is not one of us. That's John in his younger years. Now, I really want to spend a few minutes talking about John in his later years because John aged well. You know, not everybody does that. Not everybody ages well. But John, in the three years that he followed Jesus, his life was radically changed. What we were looking at for a few minutes here happened early in following Jesus. But in that period of following the Lord Jesus, it made a difference. Under the control of the Holy Spirit, John began to mature spiritually. He didn't just grow older. He grew up in the Lord. The older he got, the less he acted like the sons of thunder, and the more he acted like the apostle of love. Question. Are you aging well? I mean, do you... You know what I found? I found it doesn't happen automatically that we age well. In fact, here's what I found. If you're not careful, I'm trying to be careful how I say this, but if you're not careful, the older we get, the worse we get. Right? You know what I mean? You know, when you're children, when you're teenagers, you're, you're concerned about what people think about you, right? Right? But the older you get, the less you care about what they think of you. And, and the easier it is for you to th- tell what you think of others. Not everybody ages well. I mean, there's, the older you get, the, the, the easier it is just to let it fly, because you just really don't care. I'm not pointing at anybody who don't have anybody in mind. My point is simply that John, as he got older, got better. I bet you know some senior saints like that, though, don't you? I bet you know some senior saints in our church or maybe in your family that it just seem like the older they got, the more godly they got. And they're a joy to be around. And they're an encouraging thing. It's encouraging to be around them. It's, it's wonderful to be in their presence because you sense a godliness, a maturity in the Lord. That's John. He was, early in his ministry, one of the sons of thunder. Later in life, he was the apostle of love. Now, let me show you some examples of how John changed by the time he was an older man. So, let's go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 23, or just looking at verse 23. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Now, if we had time, we'd read the whole story, we'd get the whole context, but the point here is simply that when John wrote this letter, the Gospel of John, he never referred to himself by name. But he did refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I don't think it was John showing off. I don't think it was John saying, see, I I had a really... Uh, unique relationship. I think it was John just being honest about the type of relationship he had with the Lord. Let me show you this again. Chapter 20. Go to John chapter 20, verse 2. John chapter 20, verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. The one Jesus loved. Look in chapter 21, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Chapter 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? All of these verses seem to indicate that, the, that this man known as the son of thunder became the apostle of love. Something changed in him. And here, let me tell you what it was. Listen, listen. Here's what it was. He had an intimate love relationship with Jesus. Now, homosexuals have perverted these scriptures and they've tried to use these scriptures to say, see, homosexuality is okay because even Jesus and John had a homosexual relationship because it refers to him, the one whom Jesus loved. And they've perverted that scripture and that is not at all what that scripture is talking about. That scripture is talking about simply this, that there was a special friendship between John and Jesus. They connected with one another. I had a, had a special friend in college. My best friend in life probably may still be, though we don't ever talk to one another. But my best friend was my roommate in college. I had several roommates. They moved in, I moved out, different things. All of them were good, but, but, but they were just roommates. And then I met this guy from Kingsport, Tennessee, named Steve Shelton. He loved country music. I didn't. He would sit in, his ro- in our room wearing a cowboy hat, playing Don, who was it, Don? Don who? No. Don Williams. Put his cowboy hat on, got his guitar out. He couldn't sing. I mean, oh, he was awful he was awful he played baseball for for the Carson Newman and uh, you know I didn't play any of those sports but there was just something about we connected it, we 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 were just we were just so close absolutely i i did the funeral for his dad years later i did the funeral for his mom years later we we've just been so close it's One of, if not the best friend I've ever had in my whole life. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about here. The disciple whom Jesus loved, he had 12 followers, he had 12 apostles. He had three that were really close to him, then he had one. That was just a special guy. had a special relationship. This same guy, though, not only had this unique, special relationship with Jesus, he also became a leader in the early church. He was one of the... the, I'm trying to decide how much time I've got here. John and Peter were uh, leaders in the early church. They were the ones, for example, that Jesus appeared to at the resurrection. But I want to close, I think, by showing you two last things about John, I want you to see how he often refers to people in his writings later in life. He wrote often and expressed very tenderly uh, and with compassion his his love for people. Let me show you in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. How great is the love the Father has lavished on Verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. He, he first of all is talking about how much God loves us and how God has lavished His love on us. And then look, what's the next two words, the first two words in verse 2? Dear friends... Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Dear friends. In verse 7, he says, Dear children. Writing to the same group of people, but now he calls them not dear friends, now he calls them dear children. You see the same thing in verse 11, verse 14, verse 18, referring to dear children. Verse 21, Dear friends. There it is again. Verse 23. And this, this is his command, to believe in the name of the, his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he has commanded. John, late in life, was no longer the son of thunder. John, later in life, was this apostle of love. The last thing I want to tell you about John is this. John was the one that Jesus chose to take care of his mother when he died. Go to John chapter, we'll close with this, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 25. By the way, he's the only apostle that is recorded to have stood at the foot of the cross. Remember, the the apostles ran in fear. John is there at the foot of the cross. And and then in verse 25, here's what we read. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, there's that reference again, standing nearby. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Have you ever taken anybody into your home? I don't mean you invited them in for lunch. But I mean you invited them in to live. I won't go into the details. I've told you this story before of how we took in our neighbor. And he came and lived with us. It changes your home drastically. When you bring in a neighbor who you don't even know, I didn't even know. And he comes to live with you. John, the son of thunder was such a different man towards the end of that time of the Lord's ministry that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. And he said to John, John, take care of mama. Take her home with you. You take care of my mama. That, to me, is one of the greatest testimonies of a changed life that I know of as far as the apostles. This was the man who wanted to incinerate a Samaritan village. This was the man who was obsessed with who is the greatest. This was the man who tried to shut down another man doing ministry, casting out demons, but that was the early John. God changed him. God made him into a new man, a different man. A man who modeled the love that he had received from Jesus. And when Jesus looked out from the cross, he said to John, I want you to take her home. I want you to take care of her. You take care of mama. I want you to bow your head for a moment. I want to ask you a question. Every head bowed. Would you be willing, right where you're sitting tonight, would you be willing just to say, God, keep doing your work in my life. Keep changing me and keep molding me and shaping me into the person you want me to be. You you see, we're all a work in progress. A lot of us still have some rough edges. As we look at the apostles, as we look tonight at John, Jesus saw something in him that perhaps others didn't see. And he became one of the closest, most intimate followers of Jesus of all of them. So much so that he took care of Jesus' mother until the day she died. So would you just right where you are, just breathe that prayer. Continue to do a work in us, Father. Continue to shape us and mold us so that you can use us for your glory. We've got some rough edges. But some of us have some issues. We've got some things that we haven't conquered that seems to be conquering us. But may he who has begun a good work in us bring it to completion. And may it be for your good and your glory and for your kingdom. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.